Welcome to another edition of From the Preacher Study. My name is Kevin Clark, and I, along with Bob Hutto, who's the preacher here at the Oak Mountain Church of Christ, I have the pleasure to present to you things from God's Word, as we've been doing for many, many weeks now, and uh, we've thoroughly enjoyed our work together, and uh, it's been really enriching for me, hopefully for you as well. I've uh, got some sermon material out of some of these studies, and I <laughs> uh, just got through holding a gospel meeting and had one of my sermon titles came right out of one of these podcasts, so it's been very helpful to study God's Word, and, and always is, and I hope that people have enjoyed it. We want to thank our two deacons, Mark Townsend and Jason Reed, for their assistance, and they're always here with us, and uh, they've been with us from the very beginning, and, and their talents and abilities are really appreciated especially because neither Bob nor I have those talents yeah, or abilities. True. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount and looking at the character of those in the kingdom of God. Uh, last time we talked about some of the warnings associated mm-hmm. with false teaching and false prophets and how to identify those individuals and uh, the key point being to be vigilant about the risks that come from within. Uh, it reminds you of the statement, we have met the enemy and the enemy is us. So sometimes the enemy can be from within, not necessarily external, and we need to be good about being able to decipher what is true and what is false. Tell the difference between the two and do that quickly so that we minimize the damage to the flock. Uh, I know that uh, you led that last podcast. You may have a few uh, words to say about that before we dive into this. Well, one. just so uh, we made the point that, you know, not everything that's taught in religion is, is yeah, right. That's right. And so we have a standard, the Word of God, by which we can measure what's taught when we hear it. Uh, Jesus says, by their fruits, you'll know them. Mm-hmm. And so we can look at uh, the result of, of such teaching. And if it if the result is contrary to Scripture, mm-hmm. well, then there must be something wrong with, with the teaching. That's great. And so Jesus just uh, alerts us to that, tells us to be on guard and watchful for that. Uh, appearances can be deceptive sometimes. Mm-hmm. You have to look beneath mm-hmm. the surface at what's taught. But um, we can know. We can know truth from error. Amen. And we can hold to the truth. That's right. Well, we're going to dive into a passage that I've often... Uh, characterize some of the most uh, scary teaching in the Bible because of the implications for people who claim to be religious and think they're right with the Lord when we're not. So let's just dive in. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. The Bible says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So he starts out by making the startling observation that just because you acknowledge Jesus as the Lord, just because you know the right things to say, uh, does not mean that you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. So we're not even talking now about people uh, who are just caught up in immorality, people just completely alienated from Christ, reject Christ. Th- these are people who claim to be religious. In fact, we know that not only from the fact that they say, Lord, Lord, but they go on to say to the Lord, look at the things we've done in your name. We- we've cast out demons in your name. We've prophesied in your name. We've done all these wonderful works in your name. And just from that description, you would think, well, surely th- this is a group of saved people. This is a group of people who are right with the Lord. They recognize the Lord for who he is. They believe him. Uh, they're doing things in his name. And yet the Lord says, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to say to me in that day, of course, that'd be the day of judgment. And we know from other passages that Jesus is going to be the judge, which I think is startling in and of itself, because here's Jesus claiming mm-hmm. to be the judge of 
of all humanity in the day of the Lord. So that's a clue, and we see later on that Jesus taught with authority. So when Jesus taught, it was different from what the scribes did. But he's saying in that day, in Judgment Day, a lot of people are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, we've done all these wonderful things, and then listen to the response. He says, then I will declare to you, I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. You were never one of mine. You're not in my church. You're not doing my work. He says, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, you might be thinking, now, wait a minute. If they're doing these things, prophesying, casting out demons, doing many wonders, how can Jesus characterize that as lawlessness? Well, what, what is lawlessness? Being without law in terms of the law of God, being without authority. And so it's telling us the importance of serving God and doing what has been authorized, obeying him, doing what he says. Uh, there are a lot of religious people who just specialize in activity. They just do a lot of different things. And they'll slap the name of Jesus on it and say, well, surely I'm saved. And yet the Lord is telling us, no, I have to know you. You've got to be doing the things that I've authorized. Uh, one of the things that Jesus says later on, John chapter 14, verse 15, uh, is kind of reminiscent of this. You know, if you... A lot of people claim in the religious world that they love Jesus, they have a relationship with Jesus, uh, they expect to see the Lord uh, in heaven. And Jesus says this as a litmus test to see if you truly do. He says, John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And if you jump down to verse 21, very similar concept, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus says very simply, if you love me, here's the test. Are you doing the things that I said to do? Are you obeying? And, and I tell you, there's something wrong in religion where obedience has taken you know, basically a second-class seat. We don't want to talk about obedience. We want to talk about belief, and we want to talk about grace, and we want to talk about mercy, all of which are biblical concepts. But you cannot separate those concepts from obedience. The Lord says, if you love me, you'll do what I said. And that, that, it just makes sense. I mean, think about it from the standpoint of a husband and wife. Uh, if you're a husband, you want to please your wife, right? So when your wife tells you, I want this, this is how I want to be treated, what are you going to do? You're going to do that. Why? You love them. You manifest your love in doing what they want you to do. The Lord is saying the same thing. You want to show me that you love me? You do what I tell you to do. In other words, you obey the word of God. Obedience is key in serving God. Right. I think you're right. You know, that... Obedience is not necessarily a popular subject. It requires us to practice, to do mm -hmm. what we find the Scriptures teaching us to do. And the problem was, in verse 21, he who does the will of my Father, mm -hmm. you, we do the will of the Father. Yes. We don't do yes. our own will. Yes. And so, like you said a moment ago, here are these people, and they're saying, well, didn't we do this? And you're, we're, they're doing what they wanted exactly. to do. Exactly, right. And supposing it's in the name right. of Jesus. Right, And Jesus says, no, no, you do the will of my Father. Right. You do what my Father would have you to do. Amen. It reminded me of James chapter 1, mm -hmm. verse 25, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, right. this man will be blessed in what he does. Right. You know, the, people want to, they have the idea that there's not anything you do, uh -huh. nothing you do, um, it counts with God. Yeah, that's and that's not just true. not, not a scriptural idea. Not at, all. not at all. This man is blessed in what he does. Right. And in Matthew chapter 7, yeah. you do the will of the Father. Absolutely. Doing, obeying, uh, performing, putting into practice what we find in Scripture, that's 
That's vitally important. Absolutely. I, I thought about Hebrews chapter 5, and it's so interesting that obedience was a concept that even the Lord learned. Uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, though he was a son, referring to Jesus, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. So here we have the Son of God, and, and we would not expect obedience to be a part of the Son of God's lifestyle. He said, though he was a son, so it's not expected, but yet he did learn obedience. And then it says, having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation. To whom? To all who obey him. Right. So the Lord learns obedience through the things he suffered. And then by that process, he becomes the author of eternal salvation to that group of people who do the same thing he did, which is obey God, do God's will. And notice it doesn't say to all those who used to obey him or who once obeyed him, present tense, those who obey God are the ones to whom Jesus is the author of eternal salvation. And so for us to say obedience is not important flies in the face of clear biblical teaching. It's important to do what God says. Right. So are you saying that we're saved because we obey so well no. that our, our salvation depends on our um, you know, very high standard no. of obedience, perfect obedience? Is that is that the way we're saved? Is that not, what you're saying? Not at all. Nobody is ever going to make it to the pearly gates on the strength of their spiritual or moral CV. So we're definitely saved by grace. There's no question about that. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about that, beginning in verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and may us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. So we understand that nobody is going to be able to live a life that earns salvation. We all need grace. We need the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. But there are conditions to accessing that grace. And the funny, you, know, you look at this passage, everybody likes to talk about this as the grace passage. And yes, it is. But if you just keep reading, it tells us something that's very important. It says, uh, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so right there you have obedience. He says, there are works that God prepared from the beginning of the world that we're supposed to walk in. And so the relationship is we're saved by grace, no question about that, the blood of Jesus Christ, but there are conditions to accessing that grace, and that includes obedience, obedience to the gospel, but even once we become a member right. of the Lord's church, we have to do his will. And, right. and you really see that in, in Jesus. If Jesus had to do the will of the Father, how do we think we're going to get away not doing his will? That's what's expected. We fall short, we sin, we ask for forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ, we can get it when we repent and confess but we still are striving to obey on a daily basis. That's right. And so sometimes people will pit obedience against grace as if they're contradictory. No, it's either this not or at this. All. Not at all. But we sing a song sometimes that I think captures the idea very well. Oh, to grace, how mm. great a debtor. That's right. Daily I'm constrained to be. It's because God has saved me by grace that I'm obligated to do His will. You know, that puts That's me right. in His debt. And so I feel an obligation there is an obligation on me to do His will because, because He has saved me by His grace. And so the two are not opposed to each other. Right. The two work together, and they're complementary to each other. That's right. And, and we know that uh, we have verses that teach us that grace teaches us to do certain things. Mm -hmm. uh, look over in Titus chapter 2 and look at verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us 
that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Now here is grace that, first of all, teaches us. You don't always hear that. Grace teaches us certain things. What is it teaching us? It's teaching us how to live. He says it teaches us to deny ungodliness. That's obedience. It teaches us to deny worldly lust. That's obedience. It teaches us to live soberly. That's obedience. Righteously. That's obedience. And, and godly in the present. That's obedience. All of that is obedience to God's will. And so grace and obedience go hand in hand. They're not at loggerheads one another. Right. A good illustration of that, I think, is John chapter 9 and uh, the case of mm -hmm. the blind man, mm -hmm. Jesus and the disciples encounter. And so you remember that occasion, uh, Jesus spits on the ground, he takes some of the, the mud, puts it on the man's mm -hmm. eyes, and tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, which he did. Right. And when he did that, he came back, he came back seeing. That's mm -hmm. what the, the scripture says. He comes back seeing. That's verse 7. Well, was he given his sight by God's grace? Mm -hmm, Was that mm -hmm. a gift from God? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. He didn't earn it. He didn't right. deserve it. He didn't merit it in any way. Uh, he wasn't owed that by, mm -hmm. you know, by, uh, by any means. And so it was a gift that Christ gave him. He gave him his sight. Right. Did he have to do something mm -hmm. in order to receive that gift? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he absolutely he did. did. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And so there you find a gift of grace given to mm -hmm. someone when they follow the instructions. That's right. And so that's, it's, it's not a difficult concept to see. That's right. That God's grace is bestowed upon us when we follow his instructions. Amen. Amen. And, and getting back to here, we want to challenge everybody. You know, it, it, obviously we have a lot of religious people in the world. And, you know, being religious is a good thing. We're not saying otherwise. But being religious is not sufficient. We have to be obedient to God's will. There are a lot of people who are religious and, as you said, are doing their will or the will of other men. And we have to do God's will. And the only way we can do that is to study this. I mean, this is God's will. It's revealed to us. We've got to make sure the things that our churches are doing are consistent with God's will. So if you're out there and you're in a church and they're doing some things that you don't find in God's will, you could find yourself in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. It's time to make a change. Uh, we all need, I mean, none of us is immune to this concept. We need to make sure that we're doing the will of the Father. So every one of us needs to look at ourselves. Are we doing the will of the Father in terms of our individual lives, but also the congregations and the churches we're with, are they doing the will of the Father as it's revealed in this book? If you've got churches doing things that there's no authority for, this is the kind of lawlessness we're talking about. You don't want to hear this warning, I never knew you. So it's a sobering thought to us. It's not enough to be religious. It's not enough to have some faith. It's not enough to be doing some religious activity. We've got to be doing God's will. I mean, there's this idea of submission, doing what God wants us to do. And a lot of times what we do, uh, brother, is we'll do God's will as long as it lines up with what I want to do, right? But, but, but inevitably there's that challenge. There's something that God calls us to do that we're like, I don't know about that. I'm not sure about that. I'm not going. What do we do in that moment? If we reject it, then we're not doing it. We never were doing the will of God. Right. We were doing what we wanted to do. Right. The thing that makes it, you know, you start out by saying this is a scary passage, which, which I think it is, because apparently the people who appear before God on that day of judgment have no idea right. 
that right. they were not yes. doing the Father's yes. will. Yes. And it seems that they're caught completely right. off guard. Right. Well, well, didn't we do this in exactly. your name? Didn't we do yeah. that in your What are you talking about? Right. Depart from me. We yeah. thought we were doing great things. That's right. I never knew you exactly. is, uh, is the response. And that's, what, that's what makes it scary. So how do we know we're doing the Father's will? Well, when we can say, well, we practice this right. because of what it says here. Right. And we practice it that way because of what it says here. That's right. So that's what we want to strive to do, to yeah. be able to support our doctrine and our practice right. squarely upon God's Word. That's right. It's an objective analysis. I know we don't. a lot of people see religion as a subjective thing. It's how I feel, how I think about it. But no, really, there's objective teaching that we have to conform our lives to. And I'm not saying there's not emotion involved in that. There certainly is. We are emotional beings. But first and foremost, we have to submit ourselves to the will of the Father as is revealed in this book. And so many people have been called to leave behind things they used to do in religion, things they grew up in, and, and, and things that they were used to, traditional. Why? Because they found that what they were doing was not the will of the Father. And so it's our prayer that if you are out there and maybe in that situation, that your eyes are open, that you see what the will of the Father is, and you have the courage to act on your conviction that I want to do God's will no matter where it takes us. That's right. what we all want Very to do. Yeah. Well, we've come to the end of our podcast, uh, probably came to the end five minutes ago, but we still had a profitable discussion. <laughs> uh, but we thank you very much for your attention. And as always, we're going to end with a word of prayer. So I'll ask Brother Hutto to lead us in that prayer. Sure. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for the opportunity that we have to have access to your word, to be able to open it and read it and understand it. We're thankful that you've preserved it for us and that uh, we have the intellect that you've given us, the intellect uh, necessary to, to read and to understand. We pray, Father, that our eyes will be opened as we study the word, that we'll see the wonderful things that are contained in it. And we pray, Father, that we'll have a desire as we learn what your will is, that, that we'll do it, that we'll put it into practice. We understand, Father, that there's a price to be paid for that. There might be a cost involved, that in doing your will, it might put us at odds with people that we know, maybe family or friends or others. And so, Father, we pray that we'll have the courage, the fortitude, the determination to stand upon your word and to put it into practice. Father, we want to be prepared for the day that's coming. We know that the day of judgment is coming. You've, you've told us about it in your word. We know that we'll stand before you one day, that we'll give an account of ourselves, and that we'll base, be uh, judged based on, on the gospel and our acceptance of it and our obedience to it. And so, Father, we pray that we'll be prepared for that day. We, we ask you, Father, to work with us, to be active in our lives, uh, to uh, to bring us along to give us a better understanding to help us to mature in your word so that when, when that day comes that we will be prepared father we are thankful for the place that you've prepared for your faithful children that christ has come and made it possible for us to have our sins forgiven so that we can stand before you justified in that day and that you'll usher us into that great and glorious place that you have prepared Father, we're so thankful for all the good things that you do for us each day. We're especially thankful for Christ and his willingness to come to the cross and atone for our sin. It's in his name that we pray these things. Amen.